0: Now we all know that we do not have to look far and wide for instances and examples of hypocrisy and flip-flopping, right? You don't have to look far for those who, depending on the circumstances, depending on who they are talking to in that moment, depending on the cost that they might incur by the words that they speak or their stances or their positions on certain subjects, will change their tune and change their tone to suit the people who are immediately in front of them. This is all over, isn't it? These are people without a backbone, people without any real conviction, people who simply slink their way through life hoping to get in, get rich and famous and endure not too much trouble while we're in, and then get out. And when I searched for examples of hypocrisy and flip-flopping online, every single article that popped up focused on the, can you guess it? Political realm. Now, I didn't bother opening any of them because I simply don't want to head out onto those rabbit trails. But if you're honest, whatever your political stripes happen to be, Like those, the people that you like are like the uh, people on the other side, full of flip-flops and filled with hypocrisy. I mean, think about this for a second. How many politicians do you know 20 years ago who would have said anything other than I affirm the Bible's traditional view of marriage between one man and one woman? Would have been pretty much every one of them. And how many of them can you find today? Almost none of them. But it's not just the politicians in the world that are guilty of lacking courage and fortitude. It's not simply just elected officials with this tendency, but it's each and every one of us as well. Every one of us in our lives has at times been hypocritical Or we teeter, or we waver, or we vacillate, and we say one thing in the presence of one person or group of people because it suited us better in that moment only to say or do the exact opposite when we are in the company of a different person or group because it suited us better to say something different. Is this just me? And then we defend and we justify ourselves when we do it and then hang other people out to dry when they get caught doing it. But this kind of courage-less, cowardly, hypocritical, flip-flopping life is a life that lacks courage and lacks fortitude. To simply live as some sort of chameleon in the background of the world, taking on whatever colors it has in order to keep yourself out of danger and out of trouble and out of discomfort... Those are not the type of people that impress you, are they? To live weak and unimpressive lives don't, doesn't get you up out of your couch to go and see them, does it? You know, a good example here might be the Sunday Christian. You know the type? You might even be the type this morning. The Sunday Christian is the one who knows very well how to act and be Uh, a Christian that puts on a good show for the two hours that you come to church on a Sunday morning. You know how to say and do the right things when you're with Christians. You know how to navigate the intricacies and the nuances of the Sunday church life. You know when to peel the top off the communion cup. You know when to peel the, the second layer off. You know when to drink. You know when not to for the communion you know when to say good morning brother so-and-so and good morning sister so-and-so now i'm not slagging that practice because i love that practice as you can see when you walk in on a sunday morning hey brother you and hey sister you right i love that there are the sunday christians who know how to keep their offering envelope tucked right here very nicely in a pocket so that everyone can see it and if the amount is a small amount you turn it inward but if it's a bigger amount, you turn it outward. You know when to deflect praise from yourself for some deed you've accomplished to the Lord. We know how to humble brag very well. We know when to say, Amen, the Lord is good, all glory to Him. And just let me say, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves if your heart is fully committed to the Lord and your goal is to truly honor and exalt and magnify and praise the Lord, then that's fine. However, if it's simply a show that you are putting on for two hours a week to satisfy your parents, to satisfy your spouse, to satisfy your friends, or to satisfy any other person, when it's simply a game that you play for a couple of hours, and then when you leave, you walk and you talk and you act and you sin and you focus on the world and you're indistinguishable from the world when you're in the world, because like the chameleon we mentioned earlier, you take on the colors of whatever place you're in, well, the questions then ring out again. Where is your spine? Where is your metal? Where is your determination? It could be that you are not even a Christian at all. And if that's the case, I exhort... And I call upon you to turn to Christ in faith, really and truly. Because the Bible tells us quite clearly that every single one of us is a sinner, that every single one of us has violated and disobeyed and rebelled against the law and the commands of God. And you might think to yourself, yeah, but going to church is how I pay off God, Going to church is the good deed that turns God favorably towards me. I do good things. I'm a good person. That makes up for it. But if that's you, Scripture unequivocally declares to you without hesitation that you are absolutely wrong. Your sin, every single one of them, is committed first and foremost against God Himself. And He will... Should you refuse his offer of grace that is extended to each and every one of you in Jesus Christ, he will punish that sin in hell eternally. However, our God is gracious. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus is God's son, come to us in the flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life, went to the cross where he took upon himself the penalties and the punishment of God the Father to satisfy the demands of his justice. And he holds out to every single one of you. If you're just playing the game this morning, or if you haven't actually come to the saving faith in Jesus Christ, he holds out to you this morning the offer of forgiveness of your sins in by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. And when you believe in Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, something spectacular takes place. The sinless life of Jesus is applied to your account. Your sin is applied to Christ who pays its price at the cross and it's removed from you completely. And so right now, if you have never trusted Christ truly, if you've just been playing the church game, being the chameleon in the background who does one thing with one group of people, another with another group of people because you have no backbone, metal, or spine, I urge you today, right now, before the day that arrives when every single one of us will stand before God for judgment, I urge you, I exhort you, I plead with you, to believe in and trust in Jesus Christ, really and truly. Those who trust Christ will be given the most wonderful blessings, eternal life, eternal life with Jesus, who is our great delight, while those who reject Jesus, rebel against Jesus, refuse His offer, will be met with the most unspeakably horrific consequence. What the Apostle Paul describes in the second letter to the Thessalonians the inflicting of the vengeance of God on those who do not know him and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Now, you might not be a believer at all, but you also could be a believer who's just having a difficult time being courageous, having a difficult time committing yourself to a bold and unwavering faith in Christ the bold and unwavering faith that is modeled for us by John the Baptist and that is called for by your Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who've called upon Jesus by grace through faith for salvation, those who, for whom Jesus is Lord and Savior, there is a most excellent example given to us of a committed and fearless faith in Christ in Scripture this morning, and it's found in the man that we are looking at today, John the Baptist. On this day, in the text in Matthew chapter 11, on this day, the disciples of John have gone back to John to send the report that Jesus had given them to John. And then, if you look at verse 7, it tells us that as they went away, as those disciples of John went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Now, the question arises, why would Jesus need to do that? Why would Jesus need to start speaking to the crowds about John? Why start launching into some extolling of John's person and characteristics and character to these crowds? Well, take a step back and remember what has just happened. Remember the question that John had sent his disciples to Jesus with. In verse 3, you remember it. Are you the one who is to come... Or shall we look for another? See, at this moment, John is sitting in a prison cell. Sitting in a prison cell for his bold preaching of the word of God to King Herod. And this comes after John had made supremely clear pronouncements about Jesus to the crowds, to the nation of Israel. Already, John has made such claims as this. In John 1.29, as he sees Jesus walking, walking down, walking, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This same John bore witness to Jesus, saying in John 1.32, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, on Jesus. This is the same John in, in, in John 1, the Gospel of John, verse 134, who made it clear, I have seen and borne witness that this Jesus is the Son of God. And now John's disciples in this text right here, in, John, in Matthew chapter 11, bring to Jesus a question with traces of uncertainty, wavering, and doubt from John. And Jesus cleared up John's uncertainties by explaining and clarifying the scripture to John in verse 5. You see, said to the, the disciples of John, take this message back to John. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, John, I am exactly who you said I am. And while things aren't going quite as you'd expected them to go, they are indeed going according to God's clear, definite, and prophesied plan. And this conversation between Jesus and John's disciples, guess where it occurs? Guess where it takes place? In a public forum. Jesus is preaching and teaching in the city. He's going about speaking about the kingdom of God. And it's during one of these preaching times when the disciples of John come to him. And so you've got these crowds listening to this interaction and they might start thinking to themselves, I thought John was a man of resolve and conviction. But is he? Is John really just a guy like everyone else who says one thing with one breath, like Jesus is the Lamb of God, repent And now that he's in jail, enduring some difficulties, he sends messengers saying something different? Is John kind of vacillating or is he flip-flopping? What gives? What's going on with John? And so Jesus took it upon himself here at this time to speak to the crowds about John and listen, a more glowing commendation there could not be. John was not some flip-flopping hypocrite. Jesus will, will enlighten us to say, will enlighten us to. No, John is a true prophet. John is even more than a prophet. John represents the pinnacle and end of one era, that of the old covenant, and he also represents the first witness and martyr of a new era, the new covenant. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit. We'll get there. But in this at this point, Jesus begins by com- commending, commending John in verse 7. And here's the first commendation Jesus gives about John. Listen to this. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What kind of man can be so astonishing and so impressive that all of you would leave the comfort of your homes would leave all of the ease of the towns and the cities that you live in to travel out to the harsh and disagreeable wilderness where John preached? What type of man could be so stirring and formidable that his words and his lifestyle would get you off your couch and out into the wilderness to see him? It's hard to get men off their couch. This is the first reason you went out to see John. It's because he is not a reed shaken by the wind. Now, I want you to understand the word picture here. John is not like a reed or a bulrush that blows in the direction of the wind, whatever direction it takes. John is not like a reed that if the wind is blowing eastward, it blows eastward. I don't know if this is east. I'm just, you know. He's not like the bull rush if it blows westward, bends westward. The idea being, no one in this crowd went out to see John in the wilderness because he was some weakling. No one left their house and traveled out into this rough wilderness to hear some wavering, teetering, tottering, cowardly man. All the crowds went out to see John. A man for whom the cultural winds meant absolutely nothing. For John, it did not matter if the peoples applauded him or threw stones at him. He was stubborn and unfaltering in his obedience and his focus on obedience to God's will, to God's word, to God's call on his life. John was not a man of one mind today as the wind blows this way. And then of another mind tomorrow as the wind blows that way. John's message of repent from your sins, believe in Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and live a holy life. Submit yourself to God's Word. His message, this message never changed. John wasn't out searching for or laboring to elicit the smiles of the crowds. Nor did he fear their frowns and their anger. No, John refused to be swayed by public opinion. John refused to be swayed by circumstances in matters of obedience to the Lord in his preaching. John remained committed to his prophetic call. John remained firm and resolute and consistent and unwavering. He preached the same message. Repent, believe, live holy lives to all peoples in all places at all times. He didn't shift it or change it to suit the fancies, the preferences, and the offenses of one group or any groups within earshot. If John was speaking to the crowds... The message was repent. If John was speaking to the ph- Pharisees and Sadducees, he commanded them to repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance, Matthew 3.8. Meaning, obey the Lord with your life. Don't simply say that you repent. If your so-called repentance does not actually cause you to strive to obey God or issue an increased obedience to God, then you haven't repented. You've simply just m- repeated a few meaningless words. So it didn't matter if it was the crowds, it didn't matter if it was the religious leader, it didn't even matter if it was the king. John could be speaking to kings who had it in their power to execute him, as it was with King Herod, for example. And yet he never altered his message. Again, repent, believe, obey. Repent, believe, obey. And John did this exact thing to King Herod. Calling King Herod to account for his disobedience to God's law. You remember, Herod took to himself Herodias, the wife of his own brother, the wife of Herod's own brother. And ultimately, Herod beheaded John for his courageous stand. Many might have been saying to John, as they do today, John, you're just too narrow minded. Loosen up a bit. John, you're too inflexible. Don't you know that people can have differing opinions on these things? John, you're too committed to your religion. You look a little weird out there. John, you're too serious about preaching repentance and faith and obedience. But listen, it was this characteristic, it was exactly this attribute in John that drew all the crowds out to see him in the first place. They had seen enough weak men. They had seen enough compromising men who lacked spine and lacked nerve. Another one of these would not have inspired anyone to get up off their couch and walk to the wilderness. Another one of these would not have inspired admiration from the crowds, nor would another one of these men or women inspire any admiration from any of you, would it? So Jesus asked them, what exactly drew you out here to see John? I'll tell you. You came out to see John because he was uncompromising, because he was brave, because he was an unflinchingly resolved man. You left the comfort of your homes to visit this wilderness because you wanted to see an indomitable man one who would not sacrifice the offense of God's word to appease the crowd or to save himself from danger. You came to see a man who stood upon the unshakable truth of God's word. What you came to hear was a true prophet speak to you. You came to listen to John, a man tremendously serious and tremendously grave in his calling you to repent. In his calling to you to believe the gospel. In his calling to you to live lives holy in character. And the Apostle Paul, without naming John, but very much like John, continued this preaching and teaching style. For example, to the Ephesian believers when he said to them in chapter 4, verse 1, Walk in a manner, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then in verse 14 to no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Are you like a reed shaken by the wind? If the world's winds are blowing one way, Are you blown in the direction of those winds? And this can take multiple forms. Are you blown by the winds of the world? This can take multiple forms. Either you blow in the direction that the wind is blowing, capitulating or accepting the ever-changing and terribly wicked disobedience of culture as they rebel against God's Word and call things that God calls sin good and calls things that God says are good evil are you one of those or are you one who responds when the wind blows this way by trying to bend yourself the complete opposite way both of these are reeds shaken by the wind what we need to do is stand straight up on the foundation of god's word don't get overly affected and consumed by anger by whatever is going on in the world Always remember the joy and the delight and the pleasure and the peace that the Holy Spirit gives to us as we serve Christ. Don't let the world shape you in its mold, but also keep yourself from being consumed by rage at everything the world does. Look to Christ, stand on Christ's word, and remember this wonderful truth. He's got it all under control. That is commendation number one given to John by Jesus. He was not a reed shaken by the wind. The second commendation of John by Christ to the crowds, the second reason that the crowds went out into the wilderness to see John, we find in verse 8. Look at it. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So soft here, that word soft means smooth, comfortable, pleasing to the touch, fancy, and even effeminate. Jesus asks, is that what you went out to see? Did you go out into the wilderness to see some delicate, luxurious, and perhaps effeminate man? No, you did not. Did you go out into the wilderness to see or look at some man who's living the high life? No. Did you go out because, hey, there's a man living at ease and I want to see him enjoy his worldly comforts? No. Like the man shaken by, like the reed shaken by the wind, you've seen all of that a thousand times before. You did not go out into the wilderness to see some pampered man. You went out to see a man who denied himself all worldly comforts, in order to focus on his call and on his mission. You see, John was no self-indulgent man. John was no self-seeking, self-centered, self-focused man. John was not concerned with accumulating for himself riches and adoration from the world. No, John was something completely different. He was so devoted to the Lord that no worldly comfort, no offer of worldly prestige, no offer of worldly riches could deter him or derail him from preaching his message, repent, believe, obey. John tossed all his personal interests and all of his comfort out the window in order to make even more room for obedience to God and obedience to God's call for him in his life. Jesus was asking the crowds, this is, this is the John you went out to see. Now, when you went out to see him, were you looking for someone who plays the world's games? Who, like everyone else you know, tries to sidle up to kings in their palaces in order to gain for themselves increased material comforts and increased professional advancements? Did you go out to see John, a man who, like everyone else, steps on whoever he must in order to gain positions of honor for himself? No. You've seen men like that over and over and over and over again. What you've never seen is a man who is so truly committed to God that he is 100% committed truly to your best. He is so zealously and enthusiastically aimed at your good as as a people, O Israel, that he sets aside the world and all of its comforts to boldly clearly and repeatedly declare to you the will of God at great cost to himself you see the crowds knew they were generally they were aware of the general contours of the hebrew scriptures the old testament they knew and they read of the numerous old testament prophets who lived with the kings of israel in their palaces and they knew what these false prophets prophets who lived in the king's palaces led the nation too. They knew of these soft-clothed prophets who spoke soft words, who told the kings everything that they wanted to hear, and by so doing, maintained for themselves luxurious and illustrious positions in that king's court. See, the kings in those days are much like us. We tend to listen to those who tell us what we want to hear, right? We might say, and I've heard it a number of times before and gotten in trouble because I actually believe people sometimes, they'll come to me and they'll say, no, I want to hear the truth. Then you tell them the truth and you realize they did not want to hear the truth. We wanted to hear parroted back to ourselves what we already think. And we must keep watch on this temptation in our own lives. This is not how we mature in faith. It is this mentality that led to the absolute devastation of the ten tribes of Israel on the hands of the Assyrians. Find truth speakers. Find scripture lovers and surround yourself with them and do not get upset with them when they challenge you on your ideas and on your blind spots. Here's an example. King Ahab. King Ahab that wicked king in Israel. He actually had 400 prophets employed. And on one occasion, King Jehoshaphat of Judah hoped to bring Ahab into a war against Syria to get some land that they thought belonged to them back. And so Ahab wanted to inquire of the Lord. And so he gathered up all of his 400 prophets and he asked them, Should we go up to war or should we refrain? And all these 400 prophets, they knew what the king wanted to hear. They knew exactly what to say. And they said this in 1 Kings 22, 6, Go up, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Now, Jehoshaphat, he was actually a righteous king. The Bible records him as being one who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he noted these groveling, slimy, toad-like prophets. And he asked Ahab in 1 Kings 22, 7, "Um, is there not another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Like, is there somebody else that's not on your payroll that we can ask? These soft-clothed prophets didn't, actually ins- didn't really inspire Jehoshaphat's confidence. And so Ahab slowly turned toward Jehoshaphat and said, Yes, there is one man. There is one man by whom we can inquire of the Lord. Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him! He never prophesies good about me, only evil! And so they called Micaiah into the presence of Ahab and he prophesied the exact opposite of what Ahab's 400 fanboy prophets had already said. And as Micaiah was prophesying the truth to King Ahab, one of those false prophets in his employ came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And while the 400 prophets who told Ahab everything he wanted to hear went on their way and continued in peace and continued in their luxurious robes and soft clothes because they had told Ahab what he wanted to hear, guess what happened to Micaiah? Ahab said to his guards, Seize Micaiah, take him back to the city, and put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come back in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, then the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all you peoples. So do you see, the false prophets roamed about the king's palace, living a life of ease and living a life of comfort because they told the king everything he wanted to hear. They were a nice little echo chamber for King Ahab. See this? Echo chambers are not a new phenomenon. They were happening in king's palaces long before they started on Facebook and YouTube. But those like Micaiah, who spoke truth to the king, were hated by the king and tossed into prison for their labors. Men like Micaiah are rare. To speak the truth of the Lord to all, regardless of the consequences, more often than not, the 400 prophets desire the soft robes of compromise over the cramped prison cells of faithfulness. Do you see what surrounding yourself with soft-clothed fanboys can lead to in your own life? And this growth and expansion of self-serving, feeble, and gutless prophets in Israel, of prophets who were concerned with telling people what they wanted to hear in order to pad their own houses, pad their own lifestyles, led to these most terrifying words to those ten tribes by the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, where we read this in Jeremiah chapter 6. From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be overthrown. This is what the soft-clothed prophets of led Israel to. Complete destruction at the hands of the oncoming Assyrian army. You've witnessed the words and the work of such men and such women, people who'd rather tell you what you want to hear even if it means the downfall of the nation and even worse, the damnation of souls. And they're okay with that so long as their clothing gets softer and more luxurious. And because John was not this type of man... Because he wasn't one to whisper sweet nothings in your ear. Because John, more than anything else, loved the Lord his God. Because John, more than anything else, loves and is for his people. He left the world's goods behind to focus on speaking the truth to those people for their good because he is one who really loved them. This is part of the reason for John's most attractive boldness and courage. He was not weighed down by or focused on the accumulation of worldly goods. He cared nothing for soft clothes, nothing for the pomp of the world. Instead, Scripture goes to great lengths to assure us, ensure us or reveal to us what John actually wore. It wasn't soft, silk clothes. It was itchy, uncomfortable clothing. Such people like John the self-denying, nation-loving, untethered to the world. And it's these types of people that are untouchable. John is an untouchable man. Because John owns nothing, because he aspires to nothing that the world can give him or offer him, because he doesn't care about the opinions of the peoples, whether they throw rocks at him or smile at him, John is a man who cannot be bought. He's a man who cannot be threatened. He's a man who will not buckle under the weight of worldly pressures. And if these crowds had really wanted to gaze at soft-clothed men, they could have gone up to the king's house. That's where you find them. We've already noticed this is where soft-clothed men seek position, status, and luxury. When I say men... Me being inclusive with that word. These hope to be, they hope to sidle up to the rich and powerful so that they themselves might benefit, so that they themselves might increase in wealth and influence. But John, John avoided king's houses unless he was being arrested and dragged to the king's house for his execution. John had zero desire or interest in comforts, but instead he stayed out in the wilderness eating bugs so that he could speak to Israel about her Lord's demand for repentance. No soft clothes for John. John was quite a rough-looking fella. He was not like the prosperity guys that you see on TV today and the liberal megachurch preachers that you hear on the radio today who tell you, just sow a seed of faith read money, proclaim for yourself a year of prosperity. And such preachers promise that when you do, the Lord will return your seed, read money, with tenfold harvest. And this is all simply and patently untrue. It's the work and words of hucksters in soft clothes who speak peace, peace, when there is no peace. They hope to benefit from you. John never went around asking for people to support his pension for $10,000 suits and private jets for ministry purposes. Such things would mean nothing to John. These types we've seen over and over before. But those like John the Baptist, now this is a man who is truly rare, isn't it? We rarely find one so committed to and concerned for the souls of the people and the honor of his God that he focuses on these things to great personal cost. And John, being a completely different sort of person than the rest of the peoples, this is what brought the crowds to see him. This is what led the crowds to flocking around him. This is what led to people hanging on every word that John spoke because he presented to them a... a a contrast, an alternative to the same old flip-flopping, self-serving hypocrites that we've all seen and we've all been before. And in many ways, John reveals the foolishness of a number of ministries throughout the last 20, 30, 40 years, ministries, pastors, Christians, churches who focus their efforts and their energies on looking as much like the world to win the world as possible. Churches that labor to keep from scaring people away from hearing about Jesus or looking weird to the world as we serve Jesus. But here's the thing. Each and every one of you, if you love Jesus here this morning, you're a weirdo. I'm a weirdo. Live in your weirdoness. Embrace it. Accept it. And live the weirdest life you can. Because these people didn't travel out to see John because he looked like them. He talked like them. He acted like them. Or because he created some ministry strategy not to scare them or to seem weird to them. No. People came out to John because he provided such a stark contrast to everything that they'd seen and known up to this point. Because he was so radically different. And listen... The world knows that a truly unassailable man or woman, an indomitable man or woman, a person of impeachable integrity and boldness and fortitude as they stand upon the unshakable foundation of God's word, will be an attractive sight for many in a world starved for such examples. And so the world will the machine of the world will seek to crush men and women like John. They'll seek to put you through the cultural grinder and shape you into the shape. You know those old Play-Doh things where you put the Play-Doh in and shapes right as you press it through the hole. And so should you choose courage and sacrifice, should you choose boldness and fortitude, should you choose to embrace your weirdness, The Herods of the world will seek to crush you too. And can you live like John? Hear the words of Paul to the Roman church in Romans chapter 12. You believers present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And know this when you do, you, like John, reveal to the world the alternative to everything they've seen a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times before. But you will also be met like John, and you will be met like John with numerous responses. Some will hear you, some will accept what you're saying. Others will seek to put you in the prison cell. John, Jesus commended John because he was not like a reed shaken by the wind. Jesus commended John because he was not like men dressed in soft clothing. And thirdly, Jesus commended John in our text this morning again in verse 9. Look at verse 9. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Historically speaking, Israel had not heard by way of a prophet since Malachi over 400 years earlier. And the people were hungry to hear God speak. And so the news of a prophet sent shockwaves throughout the nation. That's what prophets were at this time. Prophets were those who spoke for the Lord and who could legitimately say things like, This is what the Lord says! And this, coupled with John's formidable and uncompromising spirit, is what brought people out to see him. But Jesus tells us John was more than a simple prophet. Look at verse 10. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way for you. In other words, John is superior to all other prophets in a couple of ways. First, he is a prophet about whom other prophets prophesied. The text quotes the text Jesus quotes here is from Malachi 3:1. Malachi is a prophet from the, uh, from 400 years earlier and he prophesied about a messenger who would prepare the way for the Lord. Malachi the prophet prophesied about John's arrival. But John was more than a prophet in that all other Old Testament prophets spoke about Jesus from a distance. But John pointed to Jesus in the flesh. So John represents the pinnacle figure of an era about to close, the era of the Old Covenant. John represents the one who points the finger to the man who inaugurates the new era, the new covenant, Jesus Christ. John is a hinge figure, the last prophet of the old covenant, the first martyr of the new covenant. And John is, according to Jesus, we look at verse 11, the greatest man ever to live up to that point. See it in verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of a woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, the meaning of this phrase is that up to that point in world history, No one had appeared on the world stage with a more important role in God's plan of salvation than John the Baptist, aside from Jesus. And yet, and yet, and here's where there is this startling change in the text. And yet, after all these commendations that Jesus declares about John, he makes another rather stunning declaration. Look at verse 11. Yet, the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is no degrading remark about John, nor is it some sort of minimization of John's person and role. It is more a revelation of Christ about the benefits and the wonders of the new covenant that is being ushered in by Christ. Jesus is making a contrast between those who lived prior to the establishment of the new covenant and those who live after after its establishment. And Jesus chose John as the example because... Of how important John was in order to make this point. The old covenant pales in comparison to the new. Even the greatest of blessings offered under the old fall far short of the splendors and the wonders and the blessings dispensed by Jesus in the new. The benefits of participation in this new covenant set down by Jesus include such wonderful things as a once and for all forgiveness of our sin. Whereas in the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins, Jesus by his death on the cross absorbed and appeased and satisfied the justice of God in our place on behalf of all who believe in him forever. And not only that, But the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus constitute a once-for-all offering that is acceptable to the Lord for all people at all times in all places. Unlike the old covenant where the priests were always standing in the temple offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, if you looked out from the temple and you saw bulls lining up as far as the eye can see and blood flowing 24 hours a day in the temple... The writer of Hebrews says, Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins and he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down, meaning his work is completed. He has done it. It is finished. And all who trust in him are forgiven once for all because as a result of his great offering. And unlike the Old Testament we who love Jesus now are given the wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit's permanent indwelling in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit is with us, helping us, assisting us, comforting us, and moving us ever closer to the imitation of Jesus Christ in our lives. And finally, not because there's only four blessings, but because of time, whereas in the Old Covenant access to the throne room of God and the presence of God was restricted to one person, the high priest, and even then, only one time a year on the Day of Atonement, and that after days and days and days and days of preparation. And even then, if they didn't get everything right, they'd be struck dead as they walked into that throne room. We, in the new covenant, who are saved by grace through faith in Christ, are blessed with a wonderful privilege of bold, consistent, and continual blessedness and permission to approach the Lord. We read this in Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Even with all of the commendations Jesus gave to John, Jesus gave concerning John, you. By grace, through faith in Jesus, even if you are the least, even if you are the smallest, even if you feel like you're the most insignificant member of God's family, even you are more blessed than John the Baptist. You are given greater blessings than John could have ever imagined. Now, you, as one who is, by faith, given greater blessings than even John the Baptist my exhortation to you in ever increasing is to in ever increasing measure take to yourself some of John's most commendable attributes as you serve God in this world may you not be like a reed that is shaken in the wind may you be one of fortitude and courage an indomitable spirit. May you lessen your dependence upon and love for the soft clothes of king's palaces so that you too might focus without fear on calling people to repentance and faith and obedience to Christ. May you be unlike what the world has seen and known over and over and over and over again. But may you provide a stark contrast to the selfish, spineless, weak, cowardly, and obsessed with ease, status, and worldly riches types. May you be one who causes people to get up off their couches to hear and to see the Jesus whom you represent so well. May you be one who points people to their only hope, their only hope in life and death. Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Jesus, truly God and truly man. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the only name given among men under heaven by which we can be saved. Father, we praise you. We honor you. We love you. We thank you. And Lord, each and every one of us in here recognizes uh, a fact about ourselves that cannot be denied. On our own, we are weak. On our own, we are cowardly. On our own, we are like reeds shaken in the wind. On our own, we are like those who are soft-clothed. It's only by the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us, it's only by your grace that we can labor and strive to be something different. So Lord, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be real and powerful and strong in us as we seek to become that stark contrast to everything the world has seen and known. May we represent Jesus Christ to the world well. May we do it courageously, bravely, without bending according to the winds of culture. May we be, like John, untouchable, unconcerned about losing riches, unconcerned about losing life, I'm concerned about losing the adoration of the people. These are things we can't do on our own, and so we ask and we beg and we plead for your power to do this well. We pray for all of this in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.